So that's a task as a community manager. How do you start creating the habit of using the platform? And with WhatsApp that we've introduced, it's such an easy thing for people to use. Most people use it. They have notifications on. They check it regularly. So it's something that they, they can be very aware of what's going on without mm-hmm. too much sort of What's changing. happening? I, ben, you're on fire today. Wow. Gosh. This is like, this is going to be vintage. Everyone who's joined early, this is going to be vintage waking up to money. Anyway, finishing that off. We're going to be talking about the four methods of pricing, which I've just, I, I read. It's something that Ben and I have talked about in different guises in the past. And I then read over the weekend while stuck in Scotland in storms um, on page 120 of the Power MBA, the personal MBA, not the Power MBA about the four pricing methods. And so the way he explained them was a bit, for me, a bit esoteric. I didn't quite understand them. So I'm going to, the way I understand them in terms of the four ways to price is cost-based. So basically add up all your costs and then put a markup. Market-based, see what everyone else is charging and then work out how you want to compare to them. Return-based, calculate how much money someone's going to get back somehow from doing the work and then calculating the price based on that future return, and value-based, which it, 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 I think is a bit more amorphous, but the way they he put it, uh, Josh Kaufman, I think his name is, the way he put it in the book was a particular person, a particular type of person who will get the most value out of what you do. And um, that resonates a lot for me, particularly in the Happy Startup School, because one of the intentions we have for anyone who joins any of our programs or joins our communities at this core, this is what I like, is like, how do you get paid just for being you? Where can you put the least amount of effort in terms of hard work, and this might be a bit contentious for people, but create the most gain for other people? And that's just essentially doing what gives you flow. He uses the example of, of a building a house um, in, in the book. So you kind of build the house, how much it costs to build the house, and then you add a margin on top of that. And uh, yeah, we've kind of sort of spoken around that sort of thing before. There's some idea that the kind of the materials cost an amount of money and then you add something on top. And what might be relevant for everybody in kind of your community around is that there may be some baseline idea about how much they need to earn for the amount of time they have to work, uh, which might kind of point to that. And then there's some sort of margin on top. The market-based thing, which is, yeah, essentially what is everybody else charging and what does that mean for what I might charge? You know, we have spoken about this a lot. He, again, uses the example of a house uh, and, you know, the the houses in a neighbourhood. There is some sort of guide, essentially, about what things what things cost, uh, and that that you know you can you can peg your pricing to that. But you know, even within that, like if I just think about the neighbourhood that I live in, there is actually, from a percentage point of view, huge variation in what people pay for for the different houses. So again, the market comparison is a way in, but it's not a it's you know none of these things are absolute, I guess. Um, and then the the final yeah is more of this kind of value idea again, taking the house example which he does is this idea well if you have a house that Elvis Presley lived in uh, you know for a prospective buyer of the house uh, who is really interested in Elvis Presley and has a lot of money clearly that they would pay a lot and I think that sort of talks to you know what you're sort of saying there that you know there you know out there out there there are 
prospective customers of yours, prospective clients of yours, who, you know, where that kind of sort of fit, because the thing we sort of talk about at the time, you know, it, it, this selling pricing thing is a symbiotic dance. You know, it's it's a kind of backwards and forwards. It's trying to find the right fit with the right people where, you know, the person who has the means to pay, the, you know, the amount that you kind of could, kind of should earn, and you have an opportunity to kind of deliver most value for them. These are the kinds of people who we're wanting to search out. These are the kinds of people we want to get into that sort of exploratory dance with. Uh, And so kind of value in that sense means many different things. Value does mean value in terms of what, you know, money you might generate, but value is a reciprocal thing. It is about the amount of kind of goodness that you can bring to them. And it kind of feels to me that that fourth one is also the one which kind of leaves open or kind of talks more sort of clearly to the fact that, you know, there is all of the kind of emotional aspects to this, all of the kind of the, the kind of unseen aspects, how you feel about the work you're doing, how your clients and customers feel about working with you, because that actually has a huge bearing on all of those other aspects. And so, yeah, for me, drilling down to the essence of what Josh Kaufman was trying to say in terms of these four pricing methods, the way I understood it, it's how do you tell a story or how does how does your customer create this story in this their head that makes them think this number makes sense. And so when I think about cost-based pricing, it's fundamentals. It's pretty easy to say, okay, the million bricks cost this much, cement costs this much, roof costs this much, add it all together. That makes logical sense that it costs this much for the whole house. The margin bit, I agree with you, Ben, is a bit more, you know, that gets a bit more difficult to explain or tell the story of but at least the core cost is a really simple story it's like a linear addition it's just a simple sums game with the market thing again there's a very simple story it's like all the houses in this area cost about 250 grand so it's got to be in the ballpark of 250 grand so anyone any price around there feels easier to give as to a person than anything else um so essentially and without laboring the point is that whole thing of like how can you tell a story about the price that just makes someone feel more at ease and more in control uh, and less maybe the least amount of buyer's regret as possible. Mm. They can post-rationalize and they can pre-rationalize exactly why they're giving you this money. Yeah, and the thing that was coming up, <coughs> excuse me, as you were talking there, and which I was reminded of the bit that didn't sit totally easily with how he spoke about it is he was speaking about it all from the lens of you are the seller which sort of ignores the fact that what you're talking to, that actually it's about the buyer. Um, it's not about you, the seller, really. It's about them, the buyer. Uh, and that is about the story. And even if you just take the kind of the house thing, I don't, if you ever remember, do you remember the book Freakonomics? I know, I remember it. I can't remember reading it. Uh, not, <laughs> we don't need to go too far down that, that kind of rabbit hole. But it was sort of all around the time of kind of, um, so... There's a whole thing in there around kind of the selling houses and whatever. We won't go too far in that. But it's this this thing around actually when somebody is buying a house, you know, and this is true for when people are buying everything, actually, whether it's a house, whether it's uh, coaching, whether it's a website, whatever it might be, there is a story that they are telling themselves. And it's a story that is saying to them that the thing that you have or the thing that you do is going to change something for me. Uh, and that story is kind of all important. 
And everything that he's talking about in his kind of four methods, really, apart from the, the last one, the, the kind of one which is going to value, is much more around, you know, you as the kind of seller and, you know, it's there and then it's kind of up to the customer what the customer does. But of course, that's not how the kind of world works. And so the more that we're focused on the story that the buyer might be um, telling themselves and also like, you know, nobody likes to be sold things. When you go to the shop or whatever, you buy something in your business or you buy something, you know, for kind of personal reasons, you buy it. You don't say, I was sold this today, uh, or at least you don't often say that. And if you do say that, it doesn't kind of feel good, which is why the whole story, the kind of, you know, the old story about kind of buying cars, for example, you know, these kind of things where, you know, we, we, we kind of associate that with salespeople who basically are trying to sell us things. And we don't like that because we feel like people are doing things to us, which, of course, nobody nobody likes. And so this whole kind of journey to selling well, to pricing well, is about getting out of this kind of mindset of we are selling and into the mindset more of they are buying. As a customer, someone who's buying something, to be able to defend your choice. Mm. You know, really just stand in that. It's like if I buy, like I buy a, a beautiful laptop, it costs, again, you know, two and a half grand. Like I want to be able to defend that choice really robustly when someone like my mum said, why the hell are you spending all that money on that? Mm. It's like, well, because it's for my business. I do this, do that. Yes, you could. Pro- I could probably get a computer that's half the price and potentially do the same kind of work. But I've been able to create a story in my head that means, no, I... A, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. B, it actually helps me with my work. Uh, and C, it makes me look really cool. Um, <laughs> but but that last bit, I think, is part of the story. It's like it, the good feeling mm. that you're talking, that we talk about in the happy pricing course. It's like without that good feeling, then there's essentially, I think, a lot of the capacity to add values disappears because mm-hmm. it's just purely based on rational cost, which, you know, again, you can easily argue that you could base, buy something cheaper. But fundamentally, that as a as someone who's not selling but empowering a customer to buy, I think what you're giving them is all the information and data to defend their choice, mm-hmm. rather than to manipulate them and convince them that this is the best thing. Because like you have their best thing, their best interests at heart, and you know that actually, and this is the interesting thing about you know that the feeling they get from buying you, as well as the tangible stuff they get from buying you, mm-hmm. is as important. And this came up when we were talking with Francis and Simon the other week. This whole this whole thing around, you know, because essentially people do decide to do things emotionally and then we justify it rationally. And so like the example you just gave with the computer, the first one you said is I deserve it. The second one you said, I don't know, you're just sort of making it up as you went along. The second one is it will help for my work. And the third one, I will look kind of cool, the thing that people wouldn't kind of acknowledge. But, you know, one and three there are about emotional things. I deserve it, actually. This is a reward. I work hard. I do these things. Blah, blah, all of that sort of stuff. And so it is a it is a reward. And actually, that's a hugely powerful motivator, a hugely powerful driver to kind of compel you to do something. Uh, and that's all about the feeling, of course. And so then we go, well, I feel like this. I feel like I'm worthy of a, a reward. I feel like I deserve it. I feel like I work really hard. I'm going to do that. I do deserve it. Oh, and it's going to help with my work. So that's the kind of the rational justification for what was an inevitable decision because you've kind of moved that way sort of emotionally. And of yeah. course, you know, you can't, you, th- this is true for everything that everyone buys. 
that this this kind of play goes on. The emotional thing is the thing which compels somebody to do something. Then they look to tell themselves a story to justify it rationally. And so in a sense, selling anything, helping somebody buy anything, is about kind of playing with both of those things, understanding both of those things. And I, I kind of say play in the sense of coming at it in a lighthearted way rather than in some, in a kind of sort of in a manipulative way. And I'd like to add on to that whole rationalising the emotional response. I'd like to rationalise that in terms of, there's a book I was re- I've been reading recently called Why Woo Woo Works. Woo 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 Woo, exactly. <laughs> Though I heard using the word woo woo is actually racist. Oh. I need to look into that more. But anyway, glossing <laughs> over that very quickly. <laughs> uh, it was written by, I think he's a biochemist, and he was looking into the study first of pl- the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And then he started looking into the more kind of esoteric healing arts and Reiki and mm-hmm. uh, homeopathy and things like that. So at a at a kind of a physical biochemical level, there wasn't necessarily a big change. You know, those particular things, therapies or modalities, didn't necessarily do something particularly different. But what it did is it altered the state of mind mm-hmm. of the person mm-hmm. that they actually did better. You got better. You know, they actually because of this mind body connection, their body responded more positively to mm-hmm. either medication or the therapy. Mm-hmm. So the connection I made is like, actually, our, our job as people to empower, people empowering others to buy us, is to make that connection of like, that good feeling actually has a tangible benefit, whether you feel more inspired, you know, you go on holiday and you come back more relaxed, so you can be a better entrepreneur or husband or partner. You can uh, buy a laptop that is double the price normal thing but it actually makes you feel more creative and so you mm-hmm. actually do better work and then what does better work get you and what does better work turn into in terms of tangible numbers and then i feel you start getting into like ah okay if i can then get an even bigger project because i feel i can do even more even better work because i can work with that type of client that could be another five grand and suddenly my laptop is paid twice mm-hmm. in one project yeah so I think for for people who might struggle with that, oh, this is a bit of manipulation, or actually you're just selling hot air, there's an element of this is actually that hot air actually powers a really powerful steam engine. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? That's brilliant. I like that. It's not just hot air. It's powering a steam engine. The other thing which was coming out as you were talking is, is this idea of, it's you know, what you're describing, it's, it's our positive feedback loops. You know, aren't they? You know, it's kind of it's kind of investing in the kind of behaviors, investing in the actions, investing in the motivations, which sort of which kind of propel us forward, which do have this kind of positive reinforcing effect. So that we're kind of focused on that sort of journey yeah. rather than the the kind of negative kind of feedback loops. And so, um, yeah, I think these things are kind of sort of all inextricably linked. And it's that I think what I'm understanding more, whatever method you take, whether it's this kind of cost based approach this um, market-based or return-based or value-based, at some point you have to talk to the good feelings as well as the solutions. Mm. And so with the cost-based, that margin, you know, what's the story of that margin? If you built the house based on cost and didn't charge anything else, then it's like, okay, do I base it on my time? Mm. And then it's like, what is my time worth? And how do I tell the story that my time is worth X, Y, or Z? And is it based purely on my manual labor? Because if it is, then I could buy, get that from anyone else. You know, anyone could buy, make this house. Mm. Or is it based on something more intangible? My experience, the trust that you have in me, 
the testimonials I get, which we're going to be talking about testimonials next week, actually. <laughs> but there's a there's a whole range of intangibility within that margin that I don't think people really accept or mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. And similarly with uh, market based, is like if you're going to if you just charge the same as everyone else, then a customer is just going to basically do a random selection. How are they going to choose you over someone else? Mm. And also, if everyone's like, if it's a race to the bottom, how are you going to survive if you're like charging peanuts and you have other things you need to, you know, what what is that extra price or amount that you put on top of the market rate? How do you justify that? Mm. And even return, like future return with the rent and stuff like that, even that is like a story because you have no idea what's happening in the future. So you're trying to like create this story of, yes, property always doubles every seven years. And yes, you know, <coughs> more people are finding it hard to buy a house and so they're going to rent. So yes, you're going to get, you know, Again, who knows? Mm. But there's a lot here around tapping into the motivations and needs and understanding the customer's sort of world and what they they are looking for mm. and, and focusing on that rather than your own limiting beliefs about how much you're worth and how much you're allowed to, to charge. Actually, you, know, you go back to his book, the Josh Kaufman, the little mini chapter sort of writing before he goes into the, the four pricing methods actually for me is the more useful bit because he talks about this the, the kind of pricing uncertainty principle and he does kind of make the point in that which is in a sense all prices are arbitrary and malleable right and so that is kind of true actually and he then tries to kind of answer that by saying there are these kind of four ways of it. So he's tried to kind of bring some sort of clarity to it which of course is a kind of you know a valuable thing to do because in the same way that's also what we try and do it is kind of there is this kind of arbitrary and kind of malleable nature to it at some point you are putting some sort of flag in the ground to say my product my service is worth this uh, and what I think all we're sort of really talking about are the kind of routes routes to to kind of get there the other thing you know in addition to you know not selling to be and allowing them to to buy the other thing that's kind of happening whenever we're selling their buying is that there is ambiguity there is uncertainty everywhere and the thing we really don't like of course is we don't like ambiguity we don't like uncertainty of course everyone has a different sort of tolerance threshold to it but this is the thing actually which gets really in the way of kind of pricing because we're trying to get that ambiguity out of the way we're trying to get uncertainty out of the way because it makes us feel uncomfortable and when it makes us feel uncomfortable it makes our prospective clients and customers feel uncomfortable and they can feel uncomfortable anyway because there is also you know there's uncertainty in terms of whether the thing that they're buying from you is going to do the thing that they want it to do uh, and so we look for kind of tangible value explanations because that feels like it removes the uncertainty but again this also just links to the kind of feeling what's happening there is there is a, there is a nasty feeling of uncertainty of ambiguity so we're looking to make that feeling go away and we make that feeling go away by telling ourselves a story of tangible value i'm interested in that that stories thing because sometimes these stories that we tell can they're they're useful anchor points but they can also really limit our ability to play with loads of different possibilities. And when you're talking about that unpredictable, arbitrary aspect, the uncertainty, but essentially there are no rules, tying it a bit to evolutionary psychology. Oh, hello. Sense. There we go. Just, I'm just yeah. going to tie it a little bit to evolutionary psychology. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, a little bit of that. Just to finish off. If our brains, according to evolutionary psychology, are hardwired to fear uncertainty and ambiguity, I feel like the spiritual practices that humans have followed is our way of trying to break out of that. And so if I tie pricing as a spiritual journey into this, okay, 
we get to a point where we unlock or um, untether ourselves to the stories we have about money so that we can actually play so much more easily with money. We realize there is no real price. There's no objective price. All prices are arbitrary. Uh, all prices are uncertain. I, mean, I, I work with some people who you know, say, pay what you want. That's scary. Mm. Unless you are enlightened with your money stories, that is one of the hardest things you could ever do. And so what we do is we create these structures about cost-based, return-based, value-based, market-based to help people hold on to something. And so for me, it's like uh, at an ideal level, we are all so enlightened about money. We just a million pounds, a hundred pounds, that doesn't really matter. It's like, I know for me, I'm willing to pay that much money. Here you go. Give me it. And if, even if someone else pays a tenth of what I did, I have no problem with it because I'm very comfortable with that exchange. And if you are at that level where you're so comfortable to spend money in that free way, accepting that other people aren't. And that's why we create the structures. And that's why we have programs like the Happy Pricing Program is to then how do we help or how do we empower people to make the decisions best for them by giving them the right stories to hold on to. And, and for us to also be conscious that that's a place of power and position to be able to tell those stories that people believe. Mm. So we have to do that ethically. Yeah. Uh, I'm a martial artist. I teach Kung Fu. And in martial arts, particularly Japanese martial arts, there's this uh, journey of learning called Shu Ha Ri. Shu is the stage where um, I think people call it conscious incompetence. You don't know the rules. You're trying to learn the rules. And so you're very much a beginner. And so you need a lot of structure. Ha stage is the conscious competence. You know all the rules and you're able to execute them perfectly. And this is the journey of us uh, learning these pricing techniques and knowing how to use them in the best ways possible given the particular context. So you're kind of breaking down situations saying, oh, this is a market-based approach that I'm going to take. And then the restage in Kung Fu is basically you realize there are no rules. And basically you are always flowing because you've either embodied or you've um, absorbed and reinterpreted everything that you've learned. All the little kind of incremental steps of learning are now meshed into some just fluid flow. And that's where I believe as conscious business owners, as people who want to not be uh, essentially selling their time, being constrained by how we work because we have to turn up at a certain time to do a certain thing. To be able to choose how we work, I think to be able, to, we need to get to that stage to realize there's no rules around money, so that we can create our own rules around success around business, and if that means, and that implies we have to have our own rules about success about products and customers mm. and pricing and all of that, and so I'm very much interested in, in how can we not necessarily break the rules and create anarchy. It's just like break the rules and create more agency and freedom and autonomy in how we work mm. and do that with compassion. Which also kind of leads the, uh, with the course, the new course format being over sort of six weeks, it gives us more of an opportunity to get into that play with the people who are on the course. You know, give them opportunity to be able to kind of experiment around with the Because th this is, you know, it's a sort of contact sport as someone might say and it is you know it is a bit trying to bring this kind of playful approach essentially test some things out see what works see what doesn't work try some other things and doing that within the within the kind of framework of the course and so this course is this happened the next version of the happy pricing course i learned a, a new term the other day emergent curriculum <laughs> 
Right, make it up as you go along. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's responding to the evolu- evolving needs of your audience. So before, so the course is going to start at the end of March, uh, 28th of March. Before we did, it was a five day, uh, fi- a course over five days, quite intense. And everybody had to have a lie down exactly. during and afterwards. Not together. What we've realized is like what we want, we don't just want to spoon feed information to people's brains. We want people to actually use this. And so ideally we want to work with people who are trying to price things. They are trying to get new clients in over a period of time. So we're going to spread it out over five weeks, one session a week to go through the content materials, but also an opportunity should a client prospect come in on week two, you're immediately able to say, okay, I've got to deal with this. How can I use some of the materials to actually price better or price well and actually really get to the right value and right number that benefits both myself and my customer? Mm. And so by having that space, I think, A, well, you've got more time to absorb and integrate the knowledge, but also a chance to actually apply it in a real world situation in your business with myself and Ben there to cheer you in the side and a bunch of other people to cheer mm-hmm. you on in the side. So, and on that note, <laughs> if you want that, basically you just want to buy us, then <laughs> check out the course. Other than that, have a great day. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. Uh, and until next time, next week. Oh, shoot. Final oh. thing. Next week, we're going to invite a person called Ian. He helps companies write amazing testimonials. That's one of his jobs. And we go on to this conversation of how writing your testimonials well can really help position you and essentially then help with your pricing. Because again, it's that kind of that identification of who is best for you and then being able to read on a website or read the testimonials. That's me. I need to work with you because you know Mm. exactly what I want. Talking to the change. Talking to the change, exactly. Mm. And that's how important that's in, in pricing and how with testimonials you can do that at scale without having to talk to every single person every single time. So we'll explore those ideas next week. Awesome. Take care, Rob. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.